Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the PTBC Podcast. This is Slava, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Sarush. Hey, everyone. So this week, we have an amazing guest joining us. He's an individual with lots of experience uh, in the digital marketing sphere of physical therapy. Let's welcome Dr. Ben Fung. So he's truly an expert in business strategy with an innovative mindset as well. So as the COO and co-founder of Abdoc Media, Ben has been able to impact many individual practitioners and businesses through content and services like digital marketing, web design, consulting, and media productions through Abdoc Media. Ben is also the co-founder and the CFO of Recharge, which is a clinic which combines physio, fitness, CrossFit fitness, and wellness in the health management uh, membership approach. To learn more about Updoc Media, visit www.updocmedia.com. And also to learn more about his uh, clinic, visit www.rechargexfit.com. Ben is also known as a connector and an innovator who drives results for all of his clients and businesses. And we're super excited to have him on here with us. So without any hesitation, let's get down to business. So Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, taking the time out of your uh, busy week to um, devote some time to this podcast. So please tell us uh, about your journey, because we know you have a fascinating uh, journey of getting here to this point in your life, and uh, let us know how you got here. Okay. Well, first off, thanks for that really great introduction. I'm hoping that my story reflects that because I'm kind of looking for the other guy right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, ultimately, um, I don't even come from a, a physical therapy or physio background. Uh, my undergraduate work was done at UCSD in bioengineering or in the East Coast and internationally it's known as biomedical engineering. Um, and I did terribly. <laughs> I did really, really poorly from a GPA standpoint. A combination of, I just don't think I was mature enough in my uh, late teens to really appreciate the content uh, and the learning style. Uh, the other part is just that engineering majors are ridiculously tough, you know, period, anywhere you go. And I, I just wasn't ready for that. I, I don't, I didn't think I had the mindset or the maturity to deal with that. So like a lot of people that did poorly in undergraduate work, I took on another, uh, I took on another degree that lop on some hopefully easy credits, which were not easy, of course. So I got a degree in psychology as well. Uh, and basically figured that my life was ruined. I was going to be a surfer and a bartender for the rest of my life. <laughs> that was going to be me. Uh, and that wasn't okay for a number of reasons. It wasn't okay because everywhere I worked, they, people thought that, you know, my, all my coworkers and colleagues, like, you know, you're too smart for this. Why are you doing this? Um, and, uh, I had uh, some family and some mentors are like, look, you got to do more. You, you have an engineering degree. I was like, yeah, but you don't know my GPA. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and you're like, you should, you're younger and smart enough to do something more with your life. So uh, I was encouraged to volunteer uh, at a physical therapy clinic. And ultimately I got a job there as a, an aide. That's what we call it here in California and a lot of other States. They call it techs. Um, you know, a lot of different countries, they call them tax or AIDS. It just really depends, I think, on the, the nomenclature. But essentially, uh, I did that for a while until, again, everybody said, you're too smart for this. Why don't you just become a full-fledged licensed clinician? Like, 
my life. So I said, all right, fine, I'll do that. Um, so long short, I got into, uh, you know, I, I took the, the prerequisites and all that stuff and, and the entry tests and then got into uh, PT school, graduated, and then started on my career. And uh, instead of launching in outpatient sports medicine and, and, uh, and that type of uh, clinical emphasis, I actually ended up working in a hospital for acute care. And I loved it because it had a lot of diagnostics involved. And I, I love the, the high energy, high pace, uh, the fact they have to work with so many different types of uh, interdisciplinary teams and subsets of teams. Um, and I ended up learning a lot from just being in that, a very highly medically acute environment. Um, and found myself very quickly uh, reaching glass ceilings that were placed there by older structures of organizational um, compositions. And, and I think that a lot of, of young developing professionals see that. You know, they, they, they're hungry, they want to contribute, there's a lot of things that they want to do with their career, and they want to do it yesterday. Uh, but there are steps that people have to take to get up there. And I, find myself, I found myself breaking into that um, as hard as I could and then, you know, rubbing my head really hard from bruises because <laughs> some of those, some of those things are, are placed there for a reason, good, better, or, or worse. Um, and so I ended up taking on an MBA for some mentorship from the uh, hospital CEO that I was working for at the time. Um, moved up into corporate management outside of that particular company, did very, very well from a, a operations profitability standpoint, and then came to a moment of crisis. And I think this is really where people started to get to know me uh, in the, uh, the physio um, call it uh, social circles, uh, is that's when I kind of came on scene was I realized that uh, all this stuff, while, while wonderful, wasn't exactly why I was working so hard. It didn't feel right. And you know, it was around the time that uh, you know, my son was born. Uh, I was, I think, three years and change um, into practice. I had already started a blog for uh, kettlebells uh, and combined with, with physiotherapy and I had already spoken at a couple of of national platforms on that since that was also my DPT thesis. And I realized that all that put together still wasn't really why I wanted to work as hard as I did. And it wasn't making the same type of impact that I was hoping for either. You know, I really wanted to be able to change the way people saw physical therapy. And I wanted to be able to change the way people uh, as physios practiced and embodied that um, as almost a clinical lifestyle. And none of that was available to me in, you know, in corporate leadership, in um, clinical leadership, uh, in, you know, leading, uh, you know, different types of steering subcommittees and whatnot. Like, those are all great, but it didn't actually get me to a point where I felt like I was changing internal and external cultural views of physios uh, at, on a large, large scale. Uh, you know, you can change policy, but policy can be overridden. Uh, but if you can change minds, then you can change behaviors. So that's, uh, that's kind of ultimately how I got here was uh, I did a with crazy like 180 degree turn away from engineering <laughs> and then uh, was told I couldn't be a surf bum for the rest of my life. So I didn't. <laughs> and then uh, ultimately went to PT school, went to business school and uh, got approached by um, my, uh, my operating partner uh, in, in both companies, uh, Gene Shiraka Broad. Uh, and then we also partnered uh, with, uh, with Ryan Smith for Recharge. Uh, and we all kind of just, everything kind of just came together and it was all really because of social media. I had yet to meet many, if not all of my, uh, my business partners um, and investors physically before I did virtually like this. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's a very interesting story because I mean, just the journey you had and the experience you gained over time, you kind of got to see the healthcare industry from all kinds of different lenses. So from the aid perspective, from the physio perspective, the corporate uh, management perspective, like hospital industry, like everything. So you got a really good uh, idea of what's going on in healthcare. So I know you, you know, you partnered with these individuals to create uh, these companies that you're working in now. What was that underlying reason that you went into digital marketing? Digital marketing became almost the obvious uh, to go into simply because the lack of presence of uh, physio focused agencies out there. So um, from a call it from a, a branding perspective of doc media really came together when the therapy insiders podcast merged with the blog I was running um, and the blog I was running, I had no real name for it. So I just, uh, Twitter was still kind of a thing at the time. So it was just blog at Dr. Ben Fung. I had no other real name for it. And I ran it off of this ugly blog spot template that I was too lazy to change. It's like truly, it was really, really poorly put together. <laughs> the content was pretty good, but the design was terrible. And I just left it there just because I had no reason to, to change it. Mm -hmm. um, but we decided to merge our brand voices. Uh, and then in, in the sequences of doing that, we were taking a look at, okay, now that we have a brand, what can we service? And it was almost like uh, working backwards in a way, which isn't always the best way to form a company. Uh, but it made perfect sense as we, you know, as we formed, as we discussed, as we started creating contents and looked at uh, ways that we can add value to our colleagues and to companies out there within and without of our industries. Um, we found that digital marketing was the obvious space because there was very few agencies that specialized in the world of what you can call rehab therapy, right? Like PTOT speech. Um, and it, if there were those out there, there were usually some type of subsidiaries of a more uh, incumbent medical marketing company of some sort. Uh, so we wanted to essentially be the company that was marketing for clinicians by clinicians, uh, but being able to bridge the words of the clinical lingo with the consumer's perspective. And that's definitely a noble cause because uh, that's something that definitely needs to be there for the consumer to understand what the rehab is all about. Because up until now, there is some confusion is like... <laughs> I'd say what a chiro does opposite from a physio or what a, what an osteopath does opposite of everybody else. Uh, I'm still a little bit confused to be honest, now that everything's <laughs> starting to merge. <laughs> but um, you mentioned that when you started, it was uh, almost like a brand new concept of digital marketing in the rehab space. Um, ben, could you sum up how the digital marketing industry is looking right now in the healthcare? Yeah, I mean, the digital marketing, uh, it, we're really in this time, and I'll, I'll quote, um, you know, I'll quote my partner, Gene Shirakabrad's words on it. Um, it was paraphrased, you know, at the time when he said it, digital marketing will no longer be known as, mar as digital marketing, it's just going to be marketing. You know, and that's really good. Uh, that's really good one sentence description of, of where we are now. Uh, for the longest time in, in rehab therapy and for physios trying to market the practice, you know, you heard things like word of mouth or referral marketing or, or you know, uh, just there's a lot of different things that we thought of. And it usually stems from the generations that we experience as early consumers, uh, early consumer lifestyles on how we felt marketed to. And then we try to express that to our customers. Um, 
nowadays, really in the world of you know all things this, <laughs> and I'm for the uh, for uh, you listeners, I'm holding my smartphone. Uh, everything flows through that, right? Everything flows through a smartphone or, or even, you know, I'm wearing a smartwatch. It's an athletically driven smartwatch. So it doesn't have as many interfaces, but it's still there. And what that really tells you is that the way you reach your customer has to do with the way they engage with the world through the palm of their hands. So if you work backwards from there, the state of marketing uh, for, you know, physical occupational speech therapy, for rehab therapy or physios uh, throughout the world really has to do with connecting with your customer in a discoverable way in a way that attracts their needs to your solutions or your services or your products, however you want to uh, label that, uh, and then gives them very distinct call to actions that serve as off ramps for them to buy now, buy later, or remember you for later. And, you know, in, in a couple of sentences, that's basically what digital marketing is. And then all you have to do is choose for yourself which one of the many digital marketing channels are going to be your champion channels. The same way practices and clinic owners and directors and executives had to choose, say 15 years ago, which one of my standard marketing or traditional marketing channels, mailers, TV, billboards, radio, uh, and, you know, a newspaper, yellow pages, white pages, like which one of those traditional channels are gonna be my champion channels? Now we have to you know, think about Google, Bing, you know, even, uh, you know, like Yahoo Local, whichever one of the 34 different citation platforms are out there for online business leads, listings, Facebook, Instagram, email marketing, direct message marketing, chatbots, SMS, WhatsApp, you know, Line app, WeChat. I mean, it just goes on forever, but you have to choose for yourself which one of these am I going to do my best work on in making meaningful connections with my customers and my prospective customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you made some amazing points. And I think that marketing, you know, itself over time has really evolved where, you know, I think that sometimes there might be a misconception of just putting content out um, on a social media, that's digital marketing, but that's really far from it, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, what's interesting is that the marketing itself, there's so much finer details that you have to consider, like the buyer's journey, like the goals that you have in mind and kind of mapping backwards from what you want to get to all the way to that one person and the persona that you create um, to reach your audience, like you were mentioning before and create that appropriate call to action. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure you've met with a lot of individuals who have been doing marketing very wrong. And, you know, you are definitely somebody who has been doing it very well and you've brought the results to the clinics. So from your perspective, what do you think is number one and number two mistakes people make with their marketing, especially in the digital marketing sphere? Number one and two, um, probably linked to each other and appropriately so. Um, there's something we call the ecosystem approach at UpDoc, which is uh, basically the marketing equivalent of probably what a, a, a consummate clinician would consider a, an ecosystem of a treatment plan. Like you wouldn't only do manual therapy or, or only do dry needling or only do exercise for, for balance or for strengthening or, or what have you. You wouldn't ever only use one intervention uh, for the optimal outcome. And the same thing goes for uh, digital marketing. Mm -hmm. And so the one and two really has to do with how people are, uh, are behaving. You know, you mentioned the customer journey, and that is very, very important. And if you haven't done a map, you know, if, if you're listening to this or you're watching this and you haven't mapped out customer uh, conversion journeys is, is how I learned them in business school. At UpDoc, we call them customer narrative pathways because it really has to do with a story of how they came to you, not just of how they came to hear of you or find you. 
you really need to, to peel all that stuff back. But for the majority, and I mean the vast majority of, of healthcare consumers these days, regardless of their, uh, their payer, their insurance carrier, uh, what type of demographic they come from, I can guarantee you, and the stats uh, support this, that well over 80% of them will go to that all-powerful search bar. That's their very first step. And that's also your very first mistake, is a lot of practices are so eager to run ads on stuff like you know, Google or Facebook or Yelp. A lot of practices are very, very eager to run uh, you know, contents on, on social channels like Instagram or Facebook or even on YouTube. They're so eager to put stuff that's quote, out there. And that's great. Uh, the problem is people may never see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, Really, what you need to do, what I'm getting at for number one, is the number one mistake that, that most practices do is they, they aren't discoverable before they're attractive. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like a, 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 a romantic relationship, right? If, you're, if you have a crush on somebody you know, and you want them to be attracted to you, they must first notice you. So if they can't notice you, they'll never be attracted to you. And so before, I, I, I feel like this is me talking to my 15-year-old self, right? Oh, I got, I got to buff up and get attractive, right? But that's what attracts me to myself. That's not necessarily what, what like, you know, the, the object of my affection is going to be attracted to, right? Like, they, like, I'm attracted to the fact that when I was, you know, 15 and 16, I was trying to do 100 push-ups and 100 sit-ups every day after school because I thought that was going to make me cool and awesome. But the object of my affection probably didn't care. And I never found out because we never connected. <laughs> so, right? so, and that's, that's, that's number two, that leads to number two, which is so often practices market what they think is cool, awesome, attractive, and sexy. But many times the, the healthcare consumer or the person that is looking or could benefit from physio services and our expertise, they're not attracted to that. They're not attracted to things like, like pain science and biomechanics and all the nerdy things that we love because we love it. Otherwise we wouldn't be in this profession. Uh, but, but so often, you know, we try to talk about these, these really clinically deep things. And it's not that our consumers don't have the, uh, the intellectual wherewithal to appreciate it. They do. In fact, they're very, very smart. A lot of them are smarter than we are. Uh, they just don't care right now, right? <laughs> they, they need to first find you. And, they need to, and then when they find you, they need to be able to see that you're tackling their needs from their perspectives before we're in a position where we can share our uh, our, our viewpoints and what we feel is, is valuable or that they, they should value. Mm-hmm. So that's number one and two. Mm-hmm. So with those two, you're alluding to the fact that ideally clinics should build out personas for the people that they want to attract into the practice in order to find out exactly what those personas are attracted to and then mark them through the channels where those personas will be on. But Ben, you mentioned uh, a great thing, the ecosystem approach of the Updoc Media. Could you elaborate on that a little bit and use an example to illustrate potentially? Sure. Let's, uh, let's work with the, the running scenario, right? So uh, let's say we have a mm-hmm. clinic, that, and this is your average clinic, and we hear this all the time because you know, we take consult calls at Updoc, and, and we hear the same stories over and over. And it's not that like we're all failing or we're terrible at this. It, what it really is is we share the same struggles, and it's good. Because I would hate to actually have the conversation where every single struggle is different because that means we're all lost. <laughs> like we're all very lost if that's the case. Mm-hmm. But let's go back to the whole, we're making the same mistakes, number one and two. We're not discoverable and the content we're put out is meant to attract ourselves, not meant to attract our customers, mm-hmm. right? And then how do you blend in or weave in an ecosystem approach so that we can 
uh, avert these mistakes and perhaps uh, turn these mistake-based things into opportunities. So, you know, the, the, the ecosystem approach really is a combination. It, it's the right set of, uh, you know, what we say is the right message to the right audience at the right time for the right action. That basically covers what the ecosystem approach covers. Now, what is it in terms of uh, a practical takeaway? It means that you need to be discoverable. So that means whether it's your, your website is fantastic SEO or you have really good regular reviews on, uh, on your citation platforms, on your, your online and business listings. So that could be Google My Business or, or Google Places, depending on where you are in the world. Um, it could be on, you know, some places really like health grades, other places like Yelp, other places like Bing or Yahoo Local Businesses. There's actually a lot of different platforms that you can have citations on. And the, the, the scary thing is they all kind of marry with each other in the middle of the night and they, they cross-reference each other. And, and that could be kind of bad because if you have a, say, say your Yelp is different than your, your Google business listing, then who's right, who's wrong, you know, and then it becomes a blind leading the blind, which means you have to be the one as the business owner or the clinic director to make sure this is correct, or perhaps as the director of marketing or, or something of that nature. So first off, you have to be discoverable. And then that needs to lead to the next step, which is where is your first off-ramp? A lot of people, it's the website. I'm gonna look at the website to see if they're up to date, if I like you know, what I see, if I get a good feel of the, the clinic personality or the practice personality or the company personality. Other people, they just call, right? They click that first button, I'm gonna call. Hey, do you take my insurance? Or hey, how, how close are you? Or hey, do you have any uh, openings this week? That kind of stuff. So you have to make sure your first opportunity of, uh, of exposure is good that it is, uh, is, is humanizing, it's engaging, uh, that it doesn't feel dry and it doesn't misrepresent you. And, and there you've already taken the first bifurcation of the ecosystem approach, right? You started with discovery. How are they discover you? They're gonna find you. A lot of place, people or places uh, in the States, uh, the most popular search results are something like physical therapy near me or physical therapist near me or physical therapy clinic near me, at least in the States. Um, and so, if, if you're part of that, that's, your, that's going to be your entry point. Then it bifurcates into a call now or the website. And then on the website, like you, know, so like you said, with the various buyer personas, right? you might want to have a listed services of people we help. Right? And then that can lead to different content pieces like, okay, young throwing athletes. These are people we help. Here are some blog posts that are helpful to you. Here are some of our most uh, viewed Facebook and Instagram videos. Uh, here is a 60-minute webinar that we're willing to send you uh, if you opt in for, uh, you know, with your email, with your phone number, with your guardian's name perhaps because the throwing athlete might be a minor. Uh, and then uh, we'll send you a little code that gives you access to this webinar. Um, you know, and then it qualifies you for a free screening. So what, what we're really building here are multiple steps for people to be able to feel comfortable enough to approach uh, the, you know, the cashier that's in their brain, you know, they go, okay, I'm going to fork out some time and money and come in and see you and trust you with my life. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very, very uh, interesting with the marketing because again, with the ecosystem approach, you guys are trying to really, tackle it from all the different angles. Now you did allude to a model that I think we spoke about uh, one other time before, and I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into that. Um, and it's the DAC model. Um, mm -hmm. Do you mind maybe talking a little bit about that and how that's important for clinics, especially with their digital marketing? Perfect. So DAC is an acronym that, uh, that I came up with just as we were, 
growing uh, immaturity, if you will, uh, in the space of digital marketing. And it stands for discovery, attraction, conversion. And ultimately, that is the bare minimum. You know, you, you hear a lot about uh, the MV, the minimally viable product. The DAC is your minimally viable ecosystem for marketing. You need a channel or a method of how people can discover you for the needs they have. You need a method or a channel or a content piece or a landing page or something, right? It could be a coupon. I don't know. Uh, whatever the case might be that people can become attracted to you, right? And that's not just find you. That's attraction. Uh, a good case study is if you go to like the uh, eatery in a mall, right? What's the number one way people attract you? They give you samples, mm -hmm. right? And then you need a conversion mm -hmm. pathway. You need a, some type of off ramp where people can go from eating that morsel into, okay, I'm going to buy, right? And going back to the whole eatery concept that usually is the front of the line, right? Just go here, here's the line, um, you know, or, or take a look at, you know, different models of food plates that we've put out together. But DAC essentially will describe for your practice what you need. You need a discovery platform, you need an attraction platform, and you need a conversion uh, platform or pathway. And it can be as simple as, I'm going to discover you through positive reviews on Google business. I'm going to be attracted to you by a well-designed user-driven website. And I'm going to convert to you because all over that website is we offer free injury screenings. Mm -hmm. It can be that simple. And you don't necessarily have to offer that. We've tested that before uh, with you know, clients that are willing because marketing is a game of test and retest. Marketing is a game of... Uh, looking at current opportunities and threats and scanning for future uh, opportunities and threats. And you know, what we've seen a lot is, at least in our current uh, environment of user behaviors, there's almost no difference between calling in for like a 10-minute phone consultation versus I want to schedule now. Virtually no difference. Um, and that might change. You know, like next month, we, I might throw out a blog. Everything's changed, you know. Put up the 10 minute screening call, who knows? Because stuff does change, right? People change their behaviors as shoppers all the time, but the psychology tends to stay very similar. It's just the method of buying changes. So those could be your three as a minimally viable ecosystem approach of online listing, good website, and a strong call to action on that website. And, and it, you know, the, the call to action usually has to be driven by uh, some type of hook or lead magnet or value-based giveaway that you're willing to give first before you ask them to actually exchange some type of you know bank transaction. So a lot of people throw out their eBooks or pamphlets uh, or free screening calls or free in-person screenings, uh, but whatever the case is, uh, it, you need to have that out there. Um, and a lot of times, a lot of times the content on the website will serve itself because you know the. Consumers don't have time anymore to be like, I'm, I'm going to read this 20 page ebook on back pain. Like nobody has time for that. And so a lot of times what happens is just by the fact that you offer it, they'll just click on the call now button <laughs> and, and, mm -hmm. and you can track that. There's, 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 there's software um, like heat map software is on websites that you can actually track that. Like people hover over the whole, you know, download the book and then just go whoop, right to the call area. So that, that's the fun <laughs> part of uh, digital marketing is that it's very much data driven because we can track a lot of what users do um, based on the you know various programming elements and permissions that are on each platform. And uh, Ben, you've talked a lot about, and this is how we traditionally think about marketing as well, where we just have to convert new leads into new customers, right? 
But uh, there's been that movement in physiotherapy, uh, as I'm sure you know with your clinic, uh, about the whole patient experience, doubling down on the patient experience to retain those uh, new leads as much as possible and new customers. Um, how do you, uh, in your clinics, uh, connect the marketing to the already existing customers as opposed to the new customers? So is there something that you do specifically with the marketing for the existing customers? Yes, uh, the, this is a really, really good topic. Um, I want to say Bain & Company was the first to come out with the concept that uh, it's playing off the 80-20 rule of uh, something like 80% of your profits come from 20% of your customers uh, or, you know, and it, it has a lot to do with the customers that you retain. I think they came up with a stat like if you retain 5% more of your customers, you gain 20% profitability. Uh, uh, don't quote me as quoting them, but it's the concept in general. So yes, okay. you need to have internal marketing efforts very well dialed down as much as external. Uh, something that um, a lot of companies are aware of now is that the drop-off rate for physio is something atrocious. Uh, something like 70% of most patients don't actually finish a course of care. And uh, I, think the, I think the number is like 30% actually drop off within the first, excuse me, three visits or so. Uh, and, and this number changes depending on, uh, you know, region and style of practice, if it's niche versus general ortho versus peds and that kind of stuff. What we do is we, we set up regular touch points with our customers, with our, with our members. Um, that's based off of the software that we have them use to, to log in and, and log out for their sessions. Uh, we also do this through email marketing and we also do this organically because we know our members very well. Um, and this is where I play a lot of FOMO being here in the West Coast is, you know, they've had some, uh, they've had some pretty amazing crab fest out there in Maryland and I'm feeling very much missed out on the blue crab experience but that's that sh that paints the picture though of you know if you can imagine like an entire uh, you know clinic health membership uh, population of people right becomes a really not just a population becomes a community and they're willing to gather out there with this huge you know like tables and tables lined up and it's just big crab fest uh, it, it shows you that we craft an internal experience as importantly as we craft an external experience to the brand that we want to make sure that every member that comes in feels part of this family. And, and that requires both a systematic approach, but also an organic approach of people actually knowing people. And, and that's the kind of the cool part is when I do get to fly out there and visit people know me and I'm still trying to catch up because <laughs> they'll, they'll see me on the website and whatnot and I'll be working out with them and they all know me and I, I'm still trying to get to know everybody, you know, especially the, the, the new folks because I'm, I'm still trying to get to know them on digital means. Um, but I also can't, uh, you know, I can't lose face. So when we're on that rowing machine. I have to, I have to hoof it. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your, what's your pro, like one pro tip then for somebody who let's say right now is struggling with their internal marketing. So I know, you know, creating that FOMO, creating that good experience is definitely one, but what's the one tangible thing that you would recommend to somebody who could do tomorrow to really incorporate into their clinic and try to improve their internal marketing? You're going to have to ask your customer base. And um, the one thing I would say is run for yourself a satisfaction survey, not any satisfaction survey, something that is evidence driven. Uh, and this goes back to the whole, we're never as good as we think we are, right? We've been taught that as clinicians. I think it's just part of our physio culture. Like we're taught to be almost too humble, but we're very proud of our clinical experience, the experience that we give to our patients. Like we're very proud of that. I don't know any 
physio out there that's like, oh yeah, I, my bedside manner sucks and I love it. Like you never hear that, you know, like you never hear this set of stuff like, oh yeah, my front desk person, they're terrible. They just cuss out the customer every time. I'm so proud of that person. Like you don't hear that. But you know, you, you ask any clinic director or, or practice manager or owner out there, they oh yeah, no, 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 we're, we're, we're really proud of our patient experience. Great, measure it, mm-hmm. measure it. I recommend uh, two things as one kind of loop of, of a tangible you can do. Run for yourself something that resembles the net promoter score survey tomorrow. Throw it out to your entire newsletter, email base, or your EMR, whatever, just you know, observe all the, the usual uh, you know, customary practice uh, parameters uh, for privacy and whatnot. But basically run a, a number-driven survey to your entire customer base past, present, you know, and even into the future, you know, as they come in, how are we actually doing? The reason I like the net promoter score survey so much, and that's also by Bain & Company, um, is it asks you if you would refer a friend. And that's something we're always talking about, right? Like, oh, I need more referrals. I need more referrals. Well, here's your customer base. Would they refer you? And it's a, it's a zero to 10 scale. So zero, not likely at all. 10, most likely. And what you really want to do is don't worry about the ones that would refer you. Focus on the ones that wouldn't. And, you know, and, and by the numbers uh, that Bain has published, anything between zero and six uh, is, is bad news for you. <laughs> so basically, all the ones that have scored six and under, you know, bring them in. Like, bring them in by the lot. Six, eight, ten of them. If they're not comfortable, forget it. Just do it through phone or through video chat. Offer them something like you know, lunch or uh, you know, Starbucks gift card, whatever. Sit them down and ask them, what, what did we get wrong? And what would bring you to a 10 or a nine or an eight or a seven, right? These are the things is what you've already done right. You've done right. It's almost like test taking skills, right? If you're, if you're taking a, a, a standardized test, like the boards, right? Like you're practicing for it, right? It's not about the questions you got right. Cause they expect you to get that right. It's about the questions you got wrong. Why did you get that wrong? What about your thought process got you that wrong answer? So what about your practice patterns got you that wrong answer? And that's where that is so powerful. Uh, what we do uh, for our clients is when we run these type of surveys, uh, that's number two. If we automatically trigger anybody that isn't a nine or a 10 to welcome them uh, immediate feedback. What in that moment, you know, scrolling on your phone right before you go to bed, even though you shouldn't because the blue light filter is going to keep you up all night and then you're going to watch a bunch of Game of Thrones spoilers. <laughs> like, what about that moment made you open up that email, click on a five, right? And then immediately that pops up, you know, an email response. Hey, I have some constructive, you know, criticism or I have some constructive suggestions about improving my patient experience at your clinic. Great. Um, you made me wait too long. Ding, sent it out, right? Super late at night. I'm not going to write an essay. I want to go back to my, you know, to my spoilers, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) So in those moments, that is so, so valuable because then you discover from, from the customer's perspective, truly where your patient experience is overall. You know, and it's always, it's always good to, to get it from the nines and tens or, or, you know, some people run the, like the zero through five. Some folks run the emoji survey, which I actually really like because we're living in a world of emojis, right? We've gone from, from hieroglyphics to, you know, like Arabic <laughs> numbers. And then now we're going back to hieroglyphics in the state of emojis. 
you know, and you do like a happy emoji, a flat affect emoji, and a sad emoji or an angry emoji, depending on, on how you want them to resonate with that moment. Uh, and then you take all of your happy ones and you go, hey, so what made you happy? Right? And, and make sure. Because some people, and depending on, on also cultural, there's cultural valences, right? Like, like East Asians don't like to give nines and tens because there's always room for improvement. Uh, and my understanding by the research from about five to 10 years ago, um, some Mediterranean cultures don't like to give under sixes because it's rude. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So like you have to understand this cultural sways. So maybe and that might be the case. There might be microcultures within your regions, which has been a very interesting area of study for sociology. And they might be hitting happy faces just because they feel it's the thing to do. And then when you ask them, what made you happy with my clinic? They go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's not good, right? So, so you have to ask, right? That, I'm, I'm filibustering a little bit, but what I'm really getting at, you know, and you're listening to this episode and you're like, man, this Ben Fung guy talks a long time. What I'm really getting at is you gotta ask your customers. You have to strike up that conversation and it is vulnerable, it is uncomfortable, it feels like you are throwing yourself under the bus, but guess what? That's where you're going to really, truly learn what makes you good. And that's what's going to bring you from good to amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about that journey with the customer from getting that lead generation, right? To having an amazing patient experience within the clinic and then continuing that marketing through the referral sources, right? So that's the dream for each clinic to follow, right? And (laughs) uh, maximize their resources that way. the question I wanted to ask you is about the competition around marketing, right? So there's so much social media out there and we're always like Facebook, social media, Twitter, like here, there, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of uh, ad messages coming to us on the daily, right? Um, the question I have is if you go after your own specific segment, there's also a lot of clinics that will go after that same specific customer um, as you how do you distinguish yourself or, and is it even important to compete with other clinics or you just try to carve the niche as much as possible for the customers that you're attracting? So you have to go back to basics on this one. Um, it's let's, let's go back to the basics of uh, restaurant and gas stations. And, and this pulls into physio clinics and practices. So most places, uh, at least in call it the Western architectural world, you see rows or corners filled with gas stations, right? Like this one area, that's where like five gas stations are. Or you'll see like rows and corners of uh, typically it's uh, like culturally driven restaurants. Like this whole area is like a bunch of Chinese restaurants, like that kind of stuff, right? And, and why is that? Like why is competition clustered like that? Why don't, don't they want to be as far away from each other as possible? Like, you know, I don't want to be next to my competitor. Fuck. What economists have discovered is that when you cluster uh, competing services together, they actually do better. And that has to do with uh, something uh, that's actually a game theory element, and it has to do with an equilibrium. Uh, some people study it, and they call it the Nash equilibrium. For those of you that watch A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, they kind of cover that a little bit. Uh, and there's other uh, competing microeconomic factors that play involved. But ultimately, what ends up happening for the consumer is that when they see, I have to go to a region, to get a particular product or service, then the competitive forces that would pull them away from each competitor and make everybody lose more as the supplier goes away, right? Because you've nullified that, that factor. Uh, and that's very similar to where we are right now. 
there's a lot of practices that are hung up on, oh my gosh, everybody's doing Facebook and Instagram content. Everybody's doing eBooks. Everybody's running ads. Everybody's doing email marketing. Everybody has a new website. What do I do now that I've realized I need to be there too? And it goes back to that basics of you have to first do you. You have to first identify for yourself what your brand standard is. You don't have to worry about your competitors coming after your targeting factors or whatnot because ultimately the hospital or the big corporation that has millions and millions of marketing dollars to spend, they will always outspend you, right? And that's just the thing. They will outspend you, but that's not how you're going to necessarily win or lose. What you're going to win or lose is the focus you have on the customers that choose you and not them. And it goes back to the customer of, you don't have to worry so much about, okay, I need to have professional grade videos or I need to have the world's best website or I need to spend $500 a day on Google ads. It's not about that. What you really need to do is, again, go back to your customers and ask them, what compelled you to choose me? What about me is different that you prefer this than that? And you go off of, uh, of what they say and you also craft for yourself new segments of people that you want to invite to your clinics, right? I, I always advise people that to focus some of your marketing efforts on growing new market segments for yourself. So if you're a very orthopedic oriented clinic and you want to get into say peds or get into neuro or get into pelvic health, then get into those situations, but make sure you, you know, make sure you learn it too. No, you're not just throwing ads out there. The, the biggest mistake that I, I keep seeing is people see all this content clutter. I mean, I think we see it all the time. Uh, I think off the, you know, like, like before we recorded, I think uh, a second conversation ago, like we were, jo we're joking around about how like everybody's putting out content out there, but not many people notice the presence or absence sometimes. And even worse, like on like uh, ephemeral content, like, uh, you know, on, on say Snapchat or Instagram stories, a lot of people don't even watch that fully anymore. What they do is they want to clear their story rosters, right? So they open up Instagram and bam, 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 bam. Okay, good. It's over. I've watched all my stories. I can go back to my life now, right? Like, so what we're really seeing is a saturation of the attention economy, right? And, and what that means is you don't need to compete for attention. What you need to do is compete for connection. You need to be a brand that's in their space of discovery where they feel connected to you automatically. And that's why going back to, I think Slava, you mentioned it, right? The, the, the personas matter so much, right? If you don't have reviews that speak to persona specific scenarios, if you don't have content on your social channels that are, you know, persona specific scenarios, if you don't have landing pages on your website or lead magnets or email drips and nurturing cycles, or if you don't train your reception staff to speak to each persona in a very unique way, you're going to be in a lot of trouble no matter what you put out there because it is cluttered out there. What's going to hook people in is the fact that they feel this, this gut reaction that, oh my gosh, this practice they were meant for me. <laughs> you know, like they've been in business for 15 years, but right now they're meant for me. That's what you're trying to actually create. And, and it's a snapshot in time for most consumers. You don't have to put out super hyper daily regular content if you don't have the resources or inclination. What's worse is, is, is you know, you put out terrible, bad, crappy content. Like that's worse than just doing one good one once a week because what you're going to do is create a footprint. Right, somebody who needs you for shoulder pain because they're gonna compete in something next week or next month, they're not gonna judge you for oh, 
only one post a week on Instagram. Can't trust that. You know, they're not going to think that. They're going to see your last 12 weeks of Instagram posts and five of them have something to do with the shoulder and the subjects look just like them. And they're going to go, okay, I'll bite. I think I'm going to message them. So that, that's, that's how you really want to view this space that, yes, we're in a time where we feel a little congested, a little cluttered. It feels just like 1998, right? Like these, uh, all these America Online CDs, at least in the States, were flooding everywhere. They were basically everybody's coffee coasters and, and doorstops. Everybody was on TV. They were on radio. They were on you know, white and yellow pages. Uh, they were littered all over the streets, right? You know, every single physician office in town have your lunches and your little like pens and, and mouse stickies and whatnot. And great. So now what? It goes back to that human connection. Wow. Definitely, definitely nailed that answer there. Um, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's, um, it's, this is also coming from that abundance mindset rather than the scarcity mindset, right? I mean, there's always going to be people for your practice. You're not going to, the world's not going to run out of people who need physio, right? So <laughs> far, far from it. You know, yeah, if so anything, it's the other way, actually, yeah. <laughs> it's so much the other way. Yeah. Right? I think every economical stat we know is the other way. Uh, anywhere between, uh, you know, only nine to 25% of uh, at least uh, people in the United States get, seen by a physio that need a physio. Yeah. I'm not sure where it is internationally, you know, in, in Canada, UK, Australia, and whatnot. Uh, I, I know that in the, um, the, uh, the East Asian nations, it is like something like one to 2%, if I, if I remember correctly, like on an anecdotal level. So it's truly, we have people that need us and they're underserved. Absolutely, I agree. And I think that's where that marketing becomes very powerful, right? F getting the discovery part, like you said, it's those people, sometimes a lot of times they don't even know they need physio. And so mm -hmm. once they figure out, it's, that's where that discovery really comes into play, where they discover you and then finally, oh, maybe I should go see this person instead of going to my physician to get medication, right? So this is, that's a whole different thing with that marketing too, right? And, and that's the messaging, right? That's, that's the messaging we talked about, right? The right message for the right audience. And, and you, know, you nailed it there with so, so often uh, we put out the wrong message. Mm -hmm. We're trying to tell people, you know, to come see us because we're better at this. They don't even know what quote this is. Mm -hmm. They don't know that there's a way to deal with foot pain or back pain or shoulder pain or, or the fact that they can't stand up straight or the fact that, uh, you know, every shoe that they've ever worn uh, feels weird to them. They can't really describe it or they've been told you're going to live with this or that you have a joint of an 80 year old at age 40. Like these things have solutions and we're trying to present them with solutions before they even know they have a need. And sometimes it's telling them that that need even exists. Like I never knew until I was told that this is a good thing, right? Like I never knew that I needed a, a quote, mobile phone, yeah. MP3 player, and <laughs> mobile browser. I never knew that, right? Until Steve Jobs said so. So very similarly, that's where we need to exist, is we need to be able to make sure we connect the need that they may or may not be aware of to the solution set that we have. Because if we just put solution sets out there, you know, like who knows, like, you know, before sushi got popular in the West, like we didn't know we needed sushi, but dang, like I need sushi. Well, I need it too, I feel you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> At least once a week. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, right? Um, so Ben, I, I want to shift gears just a tiny bit. Now we've been marketing, talking a lot about marketing the clinic for clients. Now let's talk a little mm -hmm. bit about marketing the clinic 
for recruitment. So, you know, there was a little bit, a little bit of chat we saw in your webinar with Embodia too, and you mentioned these six dimensions that are important for this job consideration. Now, I want to let you kind of take over there. Can you you describe those six dimensions for us and how these clinics can be uh, marketing themselves a little bit better to bring new talent into the clinic? You got it. So different, uh, call it references. Uh, we'll call them different things. They're, they're the stages or layers or dimensions. I like to see them as dimensions of employee compensation. Uh, I've heard them as four. I've heard them as six. I've even heard them as much as 12. I use six because it makes the most sense to me. There's three that are in the tangible world and there's three that are in the call it intangible world. The three that are in the tangible world are your salaries, your benefits, and your perks, or your, they call them benefits depending on, on the, uh, the reference text or authority that you claim from. Um, the three that are intangible are going to be your work-life balance, the cultural fit, and then the workplace opportunity. Now, the opportunity doesn't always mean like my opportunity to become the next supervisor. Sometimes it's opportunity to do something else. Uh, for me, it was running a, a community-based fitness and wellness program focused on physical therapy, wellness, and kettlebells from a hospital organization. It's like the most counterintuitive thing ever. That was good. That was good for me, right? That was, that was the opportunity I needed at the time at the new grad. So those are your six. And based on what we know, at UpDoc, we're actually, we're at the cusp of releasing a whole bunch of stuff. Like it just, it's been taking so much time to actually run the run the data and stuff like that. Um, there's something that's very popular that we have called the job market pulse. It started at the physical therapy job market pulse. Uh, it's an open source data pool where people can offer uh, anonymously the offers that they're receiving in the job market or the offers that they uh, are have accepted or have heard of. And, and certainly they're outliers because people might put in funky numbers, you know, or I'm sure there's one or two individuals out there. Um, that probably have personality similar to me and they're just and they want to like screw with the data. So they'll do like a million dollars, right? Like who knows? <laughs> we, tra- we, 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 we do trend that stuff out. That's why yeah. it takes a while for us to run that stuff. But it ultimately gives us an idea of, of what physios are being paid, where, by what zip code specialty and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and primarily for the States, um, mm-hmm. if there's a desire, you know, out your ways, let me know. Happy to set that up. And, um, we have other reports that are related to that. And one is the talent acquisition report. And the reason I bring that up is because we didn't know this need until it kept coming up until all these private practitioners kept telling us, how do I attract new talent? More importantly, how do I attract good talent? And this has been a years long uh, problem that nobody seems to have really cracked that nut, at least not in its entirety. Um, They found different ways to chip away at it, but not really solve that, that solution set. Uh, and we ran this survey the first time, you know, the, the talent acquisition survey, and eventually it became the talent acquisition report. And we're going to be releasing that, the, uh, the year three pulse, the practice management report, as well as the PT pair info pool report. I think, uh, you know, very, very, we're very close to all of them. It's going to be one big set. One thing that has not changed is culture every single time. If a practice truly wants to attract and retain the top talent, the top talent for you, right? It may not be for your, but the top talent for your practice that matches your cultural values as an organization, it starts with culture. You have to put out there, not that you pay well, 
Not that your benefits are awesome. Not that you uh, offer student loan repayments, a company iPad and a company car, though that'd be kind of cool, <laughs> right? Don't put out any of that. What you need to do is show culture, right? Because realistically speaking, I'm going to sp be spending somewhere between you know, 2,000 and, and 2,150 hours a year with you. <laughs> you know, as my coworker. So I have to be able to, to be okay with that, right? I have to either be able to stand that or love every, you know, every minute, every second of those 2000 some plus hours as a full-time employee. So to market, to attract top talent for your organization, you have to put out content that shows that, that behind the scenes stuff. One of the shows I've done that really, really well uh, over the years is The Office. <laughs> it's a great show. I mean, like, honestly, like I'm looking at this, I'm like, this would be fantastic. Like if you created the office, like a mini series, like a three, five part mini series, each five to 10 minutes for your company and just had somebody follow you around with like a gimbal, right. And just you know, get in people's faces, right. And, and get, and you know, get different. I, I love the, the responses, right. The, the response where uh, the, usually the cast members, they break the, the fourth wall or they look right at the camera and they go, that was crazy, right? And, and they do that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you were to have that and things like that and show it to, to new grads, show it to, to um, seasoned clinicians, to developing professionals, to the ones that you're trying to attract. Like say, say you're trying to attract uh, a, a new clinic director. Well, imagine for yourself, just like your customer, right? at an ideal customer set. They're 35, they are uh, university graduated, they make X amount of $1,000 a year, and they live within these you know, couple of regions or zip codes or, or, or uh, or township or whatever, uh, and they, they love, say, hockey. Great, right? So you market to that, and you put out stuff like that uh, on, your, uh, you know, on your website, on your social media channels, uh, on your email newsletters, everything. Same thing. If you're looking for a clinic director, you want them to have eight years of experience. Uh, you want them to have a little bit of background also in neuro as well as peds because you're interested in growing that for your practice as well as solid base in ortho. You need to put out content that would attract that. What would make somebody, a clinician of eight years of experience with or without management experience, come to your clinic? Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I guarantee you it's not just the pay. They've been around enough that they get paid. They've been paid well. They've been paid poorly. They know the game. They understand it. But what would make them come to you and stay and have a vested interest in building your business alongside of you? That is what's going to attract it. And so you really got to work on, on that cultural element. The other thing is be careful because outside of that, the culture will break you. And that's the number one thing is, is uh, everybody that responded to the surveys that are coming from the prospective candidate side, they loop in how you practice as part of culture. So if how you practice is I'm going to like quintuple book you and see a hundred patients an hour, you're not going to attract anybody, mm -hmm. period. Most of the developing clinicians and even the seasoned clinicians that are, are practicing now are just not attracted to that. And they see that as part of your company culture. Well, you might see your company culture as, Hey, we, we uh, do barbecues and picnics and we do uh, you know, company vacations all the time. That's, that is what means something to you. It may not mean something to the prospective candidate that you're trying to attract. So make sure you connect on that level. Um, and don't be afraid to use the kind of means like we're using now, like we're using, we're using what is typically seen as a, uh, as a webinar platform uh, to record a podcast. Don't be afraid to use something like that to interview your candidates so you can sift them out earlier. Mm -hmm. Whoa. And uh... Ben, you've captured a lot of concepts in that <laughs> whole answer. And 
we could literally do a whole nother podcast on that whole <laughs> situation because uh, Sarush and I, we, we connect closely to that with the uh, culture. We've been a part of a couple of clinics already. We've shifted um, uh, gears as well. We've left <laughs> a couple of companies to go to another couple of companies just to look for that right fit. And again, you're right. What the other, what some companies think attracts people might not uh, be what attracts the candidates, right? And we always look for the business opportunities ourselves, and we look for some of the companies that could offer us that, and some of the clinics that could do that for us. Um, we <laughs> we could keep this an hour longer, keep it going as, <laughs> as long as possible, but <laughs> unfortunately, we have to slowly wind down it's been an amazing podcast but uh looking at the way you think just like at the broad perspective and i was talking with that about that with my girlfriend today where most people zoom in on a specific detail but there are a few individuals who look at the grand scheme of things right um for an individual like yourself what has been a, a resource or a book that has made you think in this way and made a difference in your journey throughout your career it's probably written all over this podcast uh figuratively maybe literally i don't know um but we talk a lot about the user experience right we talk about the customer journey and, and i think of from this uh for two reasons number one uh, i had a very influential uh, marketing professor uh, phd um, out of the university of michigan when i was going through their program uh, and he always grilled us with what's gonna make that prospective customer change their behavior or continue that behavior and he was always big on that. It was like, okay, how can we make this behaviorally driven? And he assigned us a book because uh, I think as a cohort, we were either struggling or we could just use it or maybe he just makes part of his, his, uh, his usual didactics uh, depending on the cohort itself. Uh, but it's a book called Why We Buy by Paco Underhill. Uh, it's a fantastic listen and or read. There's an audio version of it as well. Uh, and, and Paco Underhill, his firm for the longest time did consumer behavior research. Uh, and it was a time, uh, it, was a, it was a glorious time. <laughs> it was a time when you would have secret shoppers. It was a time when secret shoppers would secret shop other secret shoppers. And what they really did was they wanted to know on a behavioral and even a uh, you know, cognitive and, um, and even a, a subconscious level why people buy, the way they buy, how they buy, uh, you know, and, and, and what path they, they take, what, what decision-making processes, you know, why is it now that every single department store uh, upon exit uh, has all the toys and gums and candies, you know, at an adult style level? Well, that's because that's where the eyes of a two-year-old would be. And they would make a huge fuss and create a socially awkward circumstance for the parents or guardians and the parents and guardians go, fine, or they just drag them out as fast as possible. <laughs> Keeps the line moving, right? Like whatever the case is. So that book is fantastic. Fantastic, uh, you know, experience for anybody that's looking to really break out of their own mental shell. Uh, if you find yourself like you're just beating your head against the wall because you you just you need additional juice, right? You need more 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 mental juice to to churn out something a little bit more interesting for yourself for your company. Uh, look look at that book. Look at why we buy and put yourself um, behind the brain and, and and the storytelling of somebody who has spent you know, a very, very uh, successful uh, career and company on 
researching this, but for so many other industries. And that's a good tangent too, is, is look outside of our industry for solutions. There are solutions, especially in rest restaurant tourism and in, 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 the, uh, in, in the hotel industry and in the travel industry. Uh, a lot of the solutions for healthcare exist right there. We just haven't translated it in a meaningful way, not yet, not, not at least in mass. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree. That was that was beautifully said, especially because we are a service based industry. And we know there's so many other service based industries that exist. And so just kind of comparing and contrasting really does give that external perspective. Because again, they could be doing something that w is the next big thing in healthcare, but we don't know because we haven't brought it in yet. So it's, um, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Uh, ben, thank you so much. Uh, that book recommendation definitely sounds like an amazing one. And, um, and, uh, we're super excited to get going on reading that one for sure. Um, but before we end things off, we want to ask you where we can get in touch with you and where, um, our listeners who have questions for you or want to get in touch with you for your services, uh, how they can do that. You got it. So uh, everything is going to be at Dr. Ben Fung. So it's just, you know, uh, for Instagram, for Twitter, for Facebook is at D-R-B-E-N-F as in Frank U-N-G. That happens to be my business cell number as well. So it's 470-BEN-FUNG. <laughs> it's just my wow. name. My name is everywhere. <laughs> that's awesome. uh, that's a, and just for, for, for fun fact, right? For fun fact, you can do that just through Google Voice. If you're lucky enough to have a short enough acronym or name, you can do yeah. that. That's how I did mine. So 470 Ben Fung. And uh, you can reach me at Ben at updocmedia.com. That's U-P-D-O-C media.com. Like what's up doc? And honestly, all, all questions, uh, comments and suggestions are warmly welcome. You know, we, we started all this to help fellow clinicians win that, that was, you know, that was the emphasis of it. You know? And, uh, even in my, my early blogging, like why I came, you know, put myself out there on the blogging scene is because I didn't see it out there at all. I knew it was being talked about, you know, we talked about it at lunch, but I knew that there must've been more out there and more, more compatriots thinking and, and wanting to say the same thing and, and going through the same struggles. And really, you know, that, that's what I, I recommend for everybody. You know, you're, you're listening to this podcast, you're trying to enrich yourself uh, in, in the business and the practice uh, of the business of, of running a physio company, clinic, uh, franchise of practices, surround yourself with excellent individuals. That is what's gonna ultimately keep you on fire to help you win. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, that's exactly why we started PT business corner, to be honest. And it's the reason, like you said, like we knew there's going to be people out there thinking like us, right? People who are wanting to do the same things. And, um, it's just overwhelming how so many people, um, have this, the same thought of wanting to impact this industry, uh, so strongly that um, this even became a hit. And that's why we're surrounding ourselves with someone like you, right? One of the smartest Appreciate guys in the me. industry and, and um, you know, definitely clearly an expert in what you're doing. So uh, we're really happy that you came along to, for this journey. <laughs> and, <laughs> Thanks for uh, having me as part of it. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully we'll have you back on multiple more episodes. We're going to dig deeper into the six dimensions soon for sure. <laughs> and uh, thanks again, Ben. Really appreciate you coming on and we'll speak with you again soon. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Thank you everyone for tuning into the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. 
Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.